The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
I watched yesterday as President Trump at the White House with the President of Israel, with the embassies of the UAE and Bahrain as they signed a peace accord. This is a historic event. It is a promise that many other Arab nations will join with all of the children of Abraham to sign a peace treaty. It's happening very quickly. Do you understand what this means? According to Scripture, it means that the tribulation of the last days is at hand. Seven years of tribulation. It means that we are on a a countdown for the coming of Jesus Christ. And sudden destruction has been pronounced over the earth. We are not going back to normal. We are in the end of time, and sudden destruction will come upon this world as God pours out his judgment because of our gross sin. I know many false teachers have gone forth, and they have not given you the biblical meanings but instead have comforted you in the midst of your sin. And the Lord has told me to come and tenderly speak to his church, for he loves his people. And he is calling you out of all sin. Now, I'm going to share some scriptures with you. And then I want to talk specifically with you about what it means to walk in righteousness so that this sudden destruction does not come upon God's people. I am jealous for you to belong fully to Jesus Christ. I am jealous for you to be filled with the power of Pentecost in your personal life that you would become a powerful testimony for righteousness wherever you are, and that that power would flow by the name of Jesus for the salvation of many, because I know, according to Matthew 24, there will be a last-day revival. There will be a latter reign. It will be more glorious than the former reign at Pentecost. But I tell you this, it's time for a heads up. It's time to pay attention. 
We're not going back to normal. I don't believe there ever was a pandemic. Oh, there's a virus. And people got sick and people died. But that happens year after year with the flu. But if you look at the actual numbers and the way they inflated them, and you look at the demand that we wear a mask today, I went to Panera's for lunch to visit with the manager who is a dear Christian brother of mine. I had to wear a mask to go in. And after I got inside, they took my order and they gave me a buzzer. You know, one of these little things that light up to tell you when your order's ready. But nobody had sanitized that buzzer it had been in the hands of many people through the day now come on is a virus spread by breathing maybe but certainly by contact you go in the men's restroom you wash your hands how many hands have touched that handle and that door it doesn't make any sense it's teaching us to be obedient to governmental control. It's not about a pandemic. There wasn't a pandemic. Yes, people got sick and died. Yes, the virus is real. But a pandemic? No. The Spanish flu was a pandemic, and they didn't shut down the world for the Spanish flu. But now, millions of businesses have collapsed. Millions of American people are out of work. Financially, they are devastated. Many are going hungry, and people will starve to death in America. Famine is upon the land, and there will be a shortage of food by this month while you can. Your supplies, as you are able, blessed by the Holy Spirit, because we will soon see incredible shortages of food in the grocery stores. Now, I want to read you several passages. I don't mean to be an alarmist. I mean to be a realist. I laughingly call myself the pastor of Reelsville. Let's talk about it as it really is. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, 
and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Be joyous always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. That word in the Greek, sanctification. Webster's 1828 Dictionary and also Webster's 2001 Dictionary describes sanctification as the act of making holy. The act of consecration or setting apart for a sacred purpose to make holy, to purify from sin or evil. So let's be clear. The reason I'm speaking to you as I am is not for your entertainment. I am trying to speak to you honestly, sharing with you the scriptures that you could understand and have your heart set afire with love for Jesus Christ and your heart set aflame by the Holy Spirit that you could have power to witness and to minister. Look, we are right at the verge of the coming of Jesus Christ. The countdown is on. Does Jesus come at the end of the tribulation? Or does he come at the beginning? Or does he come in the middle? You know what? I don't know. What I do know is that we are entering, according to Daniel, Daniel 9. Let me read it for you. According to Daniel, he says, The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. In other words, whole parts of the world are going to be utterly destroyed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven. He will put an end to sacrifice and offerings. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is Antichrist. We are entering by the signs given in Scripture that one week or that seven years. Now, this same prophecy is a part of a greater prophecy in chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, where the angel describes for John, 
for Daniel, the scribes for Daniel. What's going to happen at the end of time? And, though given hundreds of years earlier, it is perfectly correct in its dating for when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. Now, that same prophecy continues and tells us what's going to happen at the very end of time. And we are given one week or seven years. There will be a peace accord with the Arabs. Everyone will say, peace and safety. The Palestinians, who are really Egyptians and Jordanians, will be included in this peace deal. They will divide Israel. They will give a state of their own to the Palestinians. Now, there are severe warnings for those who would divide the land of God, and America will suffer and has already suffered from the fires in the West because of our treatment of Israel. We are participating in the final treaties that bring on the Antichrist. Now, I have to tell you, as I listened, tears flowed down my face. I always pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But this is a false peace. And destruction is going to come upon those who would divide the land of Israel, and that's America. And destruction is coming on the land of Israel. And the seven years of tribulation were right at the edge. Now, was it marked seven years beginning yesterday with the first accord being signed, or is it to begin when all of the Arab nations gather and sign the peace treaty? I don't know. No one knows. What I can tell you is that we're right there at the edge of the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. And the first three and a half years are peace. Oh, there's upheaval, there's war, there's all kinds of things going on, and there will be in America. But after three and a half years, Antichrist will arise. And he will set up his headquarters in a temple that has been built in Jerusalem. And we will see the desolation of the earth. And we will see the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know when he's coming. There are those who believe he is coming now in a secret rapture. I don't know the truth of this. Then there are those who teach he's going to come in the middle of the tribulation at the three-and-a-half-year mark as Antichrist takes over. And then there are those, and this is how I was raised, to believe that Jesus comes at the very end of the tribulation. I know many people say they know exactly what's going to happen, but believe me, they do not know. What we do know is that the seven-year countdown is on the verge of beginning. What we do know is that that means 
You've got to get ready. What I know it means is the Holy Spirit has said to me, speak tenderly to my church and tell them that these difficult tribulations that they have faced already are causing many to say, I will trust Jesus. And many are saying, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. But the Lord has told me, speak tenderly to my church and tell them they must go into the baptismal waters and be crucified with Christ because they've not yet died to flesh and to self. Oh, they're doing their best. But they are not obedient to the Lord yet. They are still walking in sin before God. They've never suffered for the cross of Jesus. This breaks my heart. So I want to look at scriptures with you today. I urge you to, to look at, because we may not have time today, Second Corinthians Second Corinthians, the third, fourth, and fifth chapters. I urge you to read them carefully and prayerfully. Also, chapter 6, the first verses of chapter 7. If we have time today, we'll go through that. If not, I'll do it tomorrow. But now, I want to answer some questions that have been raised by listeners. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 48, Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, obviously, I can't be, I can't be God. I'm not God. I'm a human being. But I'll tell you what my cry is before God. My cry is, O oh Lord, make me as holy as as a man can be made holy. Let me be like you, Jesus. Now, please, please hear me and understand what I'm going to say to you. I am not preaching perfectionism. Don't make that mistake. Perfectionism is for those who believe in legalism. They want to get everything right. Well, do I want to get everything right? Yes, but not through the law. I want to be right in the spirit with Jesus. I want Jesus to share the way. Let me read a scripture for you. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if to live in the flesh, this is fruitful labor for me, yet what I will choose I know not. 
Now I am pressed from within by the two. Having desired to depart and be with Christ, this is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is necessary for your sake. He's not talking about remaining in sin. He's talking about remaining in this body that is sanctified and made holy by the Lord Jesus. The 29th verse, for it was given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer on his behalf. Having the same conflict such as you saw in me, and now you hear from me. Okay, now I want to walk with you through Romans 6. Now we have to make a decision. It's a conscious decision that you must make. I was taught certain things about the gospel of Jesus. I was taught in my home. I was taught in school. I was taught afterward in the denomination that I was a part of. I was taught certain things about the gospel. And one of the most difficult things that I've had to do as the years have gone by is continue to search the scriptures and ask the question, was I taught the truth as it is in Jesus? Or was I taught the truth as man believes it? Now, the difficulty we're facing is that we have allowed our experience to establish the truth. Experience is very important. It is the source of my testimony that Jesus has done this work in my life. But my experience cannot be allowed to overrule what the Scriptures teach. the sixth chapter of Romans. Let me just slowly read it and stop as we move along in order that you could clearly understand and know whether you're basing your beliefs on what you've experienced or on what the Scripture says. See, destruction is coming. Peace and safety and then destruction. We're right there. Prophecies are telling us that in the next two months, utter destruction will come to America, that there will be even greater rioting and killing and murdering, and that food shortages are coming, that hard times are coming. We're told very clearly we are in trouble in America. I want you to be able to face that with joy and with a powerful witness and testimony that Jesus is your Lord and he has delivered you and you are set free and you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Chapter 6. What then shall we say? 
continue in sin? That the grace may become more and more and more? Certainly no. Certainly not the strongest possible construction in the Greek. No, Paul says. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it any longer? Now, I've spoken with some of you. And you have said to me something very interesting. Let me turn to it quickly. Over here in the book of Titus. I'm sorry. I should have had it marked. In Titus, and I'm reading to you now from the second chapter of Titus. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Titus. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These are the things you should teach Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anybody despise you. What's he saying? He's saying, look, grace does not cover sin. One believer, a very sincere person, said to me, Pastor, I do the best I can do. And then grace has to kick in and cover the rest. No! That's not grace. That's greasy grace. That's cheap grace. It's false grace. It's not real, and it doesn't cover you. Grace never covers your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can remove. The word for forgive your sin in the Greek is aphemi, and the word literally means to remove. The blood of Jesus Christ does not cover your sins. In the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, according to Hebrews 9 and 10, the blood of bulls and goats covered over the sin so that it was not counted against them. This covering over of their sin was until Jesus died on Calvary. It was looking forward to the cross, those lambs, were dying in the stead of Jesus, pointing forward to his dying on the cross. When he died on the cross, there's no longer a covering for sin. There's only the removal, the forgiveness of sin. Let me read this for you again. I want you to hear it plainly. Titus, the second chapter. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no 
See, grace does not cover sin. It teaches us to say no. And we have the power to say no when we have been born from above in the Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. Many of you have tried and tried and tried to be holy. And you have failed and finally you gave up and said, look, all I can do is the best I can do. Wrong. We have to enter into Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And that only comes by being crucified with Christ. By dying to self-life. Do you know what self-life is? All of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ways. All of my wisdom. And I utterly cast myself upon Jesus Christ. And I serve him. I declare he is my Lord and my master, and I will serve none other. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Don't tell me it's not possible to live self-controlled, upright, and and godly lives in this age while we wait for the blessed hope. It is possible, but not in my strength and not in my power. It requires the giving up of my life, and it requires the awesome grace of God to come and teach me, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Let's go back. Let's go back to Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may become more and more a covering? No! No, 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 no! We who died to sin, how shall we live in it? It requires that a man or a woman... Give up their pride. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm yours. Or are you are you ignorant? Do you not know? It's not an insult. He's saying, look, do you really not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. This is not speaking just of water. This is of the Holy Spirit. Really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in the newness of life. You may have the newness of life, but it will, it will require that you willingly allow Jesus to crucify you. You cannot crucify yourself. The work of circumcising our heart is done by Jesus. None of this is self-help. None of this is legalism. It's all done by the Holy Spirit as we surrender to him by the blood of Jesus. 
For if we have, this is verse 5, if we have become united in the similarity of his death, then we shall also be united with him in the similarity of his resurrection. Today, we need to be living the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. This is what happens now, currently, while we're in this world. We are in Jesus Christ. Read Hebrews 3 and 4 carefully. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, not suppressed. There are a number of Greek words that could have been used by Paul to talk about suppression. He's saying it is destroyed. Now, he's not saying you cannot be tempted. We will all be tempted until we reach heaven. And First John tells us that we may, on occasion, give way to our sin. But we don't need to. And we're called not to. But we're told in First John, look at the first and second chapters, that if we do give way to that sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And he will purify us from all sin so we don't go back to it. Now listen. So that the body of sin might be destroyed, removed, finished, that we are not hereafter to serve sin, for the one having died has been freed from sin. Now, have you been freed from sin? Is your experience that of resurrection life in Jesus? If it is not, because you've been taught you can never stop sinning. You've been taught you have to struggle and work and do your best and try to cut this off and cut that off and do that. No. We're called to walk in the spirit of the living God, not in the law. I am no longer under the law. I'm not antinomian, for the law is now written on my heart. That's the new covenant. So I walk in Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have been freed from sin. Now notice, but if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised out from the dead men, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died with reference to sin once and for all. But in that he lives, he lives with respect to God. So also you must Think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You will never be able to think of yourself as dead to sin when you're still spending those hours in front of the television. You can't drink in the poison of sin and have a clean heart before God. Jesus said the eyes, if the eyes are pure, the body's pure. It means you can no longer look with lust at men or women. 
It means that you can no longer look with envy at the world and the ways of the world. It means you can no longer hunger after money. Your security, your money, your life are all found in Jesus Christ. Everything you need is found in Jesus Christ. But you have to be crucified. You have to die out. You have to humble your heart before God and before men. And you have to change your way of thinking. Self-condemnation is from the devil. It's not from Jesus. Jesus does not come and correct us by condemning us. The Holy Spirit will come and say, let me take that, Ray. Yes, sir, please take it. I was not even aware of it, Jesus. Please take it. And with repentance, we turn. And he removes it from us. It's by the Spirit and not by the law. It's by an intimacy with Jesus. I tell you today, I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. Everything I have, everything I am, has come from his hand. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. He's everything. So I come and I say, do you need to change your mind about your sin? And if you know yourself to be a sinner, you haven't been crucified with Christ yet. You see, when you're crucified with Christ, you now have the power to no longer walk in sin. You can say no to it. The devil's going to come. He's going to throw every temptation he has in his book at you. He knows who you are. He knows your weak points. He knows how quick you are to condemn yourself and give up. He knows the hopelessness of your heart. The answer is found in feeding on the broken body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus. How do you do that? By spending that time with him every day, reading, meditating in the scriptures, praising and worshiping him. I have my set time when I come into my prayer closet and I come before Jesus and I say, Lord, Lord, I'm here for you. Deal with my heart. I want to be in every respect, as holy as a man can be made holy. Because that means I want to be set apart in every way a man can be set apart for the work of the gospel of Jesus. I have nothing in this world except Jesus. 
breaks my heart to hear about some of the pastors who have great national ministries and they're worth 20, 30 million dollars, 50 million. Are you kidding me? They can't walk holy with God with that kind of money at the hour we live in. Are you saying pastors should not be wealthy? Yes, we should be wealthy in Jesus. We should be trusting him for our sustenance and our life. We should be trusting him for everything. Wesley said, John Wesley, if when I die I have but a few shekels, you'll know I was a thief and a robber. Everything he had, he poured into the work of the gospel. He cared for his family. He cared for his children. He had a house to live in. He had food to eat. But everything was about Jesus. He didn't build bigger barns and store away. People say to me, Pastor Ray, when are you going to retire? I'm not. I'm transitioning from this world to the next. I have a mission. The Lord has assigned me a mission. I have a, an assignment from Jesus. I'm going to walk it out with joy. And know that I'm in his hands. Verse 12, Therefore sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it, and you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among the spiritually dead men, and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. Not grace that covers over your sin but grace that points out your sin and calls you to be crucified with Christ. I didn't deserve to be saved. I didn't deserve to be set free of my sin. I didn't deserve to be brought into loving fellowship with Jesus and with his people. All of that is grace. Undeserved merit. I don't deserve to have Jesus carry me and pay the rent and pay the radio and pay this and cover that. I don't deserve that. It comes from the hand of Jesus. It's his provision. So sin must not reign in your mortal body. That is, this body, right now, before I die. Some of you say, oh, pastor, I believe that when I die, I'm going to be made righteous. Wrong. Your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, if you go there, you will be the same person. You will be righteous and holy, made that way by the grace of God and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You will be made that way by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the sin 
must not reign in your mortal body, to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but once and for all, yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men, and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God, for sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law but under grace. So, are you going to believe what you have heard today from the Scriptures? Or are you going to believe the lies that allow you to continue in your discomfort, in your sin? Are you still going to make excuses to try to justify the wickedness of your heart? Or will you be crucified with Christ Jesus? I ask you, please, the Holy Spirit has told me the Church of America must be crucified with him. The Church has been corrupt. It's been casual. It has loved the things of the world. It has built its huge monuments. It has glorified men over God. It's time now to repent. It's time now to get clean. It's now time for Jesus. Almighty God, come with power and touch the hearts of every person listening right now. Lord, send forth your grace to the American church. Send forth your spirit to the American church. And give us the courage to be crucified with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I need to hear from you. The month is quickly going by, and we're far from being able to pay for the radio station for this month. I'm trusting Jesus to bring forth in your heart a desire to give. He already has started that in many of you, and I praise him for this. I ask to Allow the Holy Spirit to move you as he chooses. You can also go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can go online and you can donate there. Just go to the upper right-hand side of the screen, the home screen of nationalprayerchapel.com, and there will be a word, Donate. Click on that, and it will take you to a page where you can make your donation of tithe or offering for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, this is all about Jesus. It's all about his grace and his mercy. 
my dear brother and sister. I love you. I'm praying for you. I pray for you by name when I get your letters. I pray now that God will move upon your heart and bring you to fullness in Jesus Christ. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.